0: Hello, everybody. It's Seamus. I'm here at the Magical Druid. We are doing a Druid on the Street report here for the Pagan Gumbo podcast. So no fancy intro, no fancy music. We're just going to get right down to it today. I am here with uh, Columbus, Central Ohio actor extraordinaire, Michael Gwidian Reams. And uh, uh, Gwidian has uh, been our Krampus for the last five years and uh, has done a lot of other... Um, voiceover work and acting here in town and we're going to talk about a little bit about that and what that means and he's also i, I would assume you self-identify as a pagan a druid and a chaos magician
1: uh, yes that is correct
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about some of that 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 as well but um we'll just get started with um uh, a softball question um Several years ago, we started the Krampus parade, and and you were uh, kind enough to develop costume and and kind of take on that mantle, that role of Krampus. Um, is that uh, one of the most uh, elaborate um, getups that you you do t- to get ready with all the makeup and everything?
1: Uh, actually, yeah, I uh, on the side I do uh, a lot of cosplay for conventions and stuff, but the. Uh, the makeup specifically for Krampus takes a good hour and a half because it's something that you want to be able to skirt the line between looking scary but not too scary for kids. So you want to have that those like gray and green tones to the makeup and, and things like that uh, without coming off as looking really childish. So so yeah, luckily my my wife uh, who's also a uh, cosplayer, Crystal. Uh, actually uh, does my makeup for me, I try to behave with her as best I can while she does that. But yeah, it it's uh, close to an hour and a half for just the makeup itself. And designing the costume probably took a separate uh, two to three weeks of finding the right materials, putting them together, seeing what works, what doesn't work, and it's always under a... Uh, State of oh, let's try this next time, or let's try that next time.
0: Yeah, every time I see it, there's been something added. You Mm got to really pay attention. You mentioned cosplay. I know you do a Doctor Octopus. Yes. Uh,
1: What What's some of the other? Um, Let's see. Well, uh, over the years, I have done uh, Alex from uh, Clockwork Orange. I have a uh, a uh, BoJack Horseman, which is and the one that I have is actually. Kind of a mashup between My Little Pony and BoJack Horseman. I call it My Little BoJack. So it's a, a lot more, uh, uh, cartoonish, uh, childish head that I have, but with the uh the the standard suit that you would see him in with the T-shirt, this the 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 jacket, the jeans and stuff. So I've I've done that at a couple of conventions. Uh, let's see, yeah, Doctor Octopus is one that I, I break out every so often. I have one that I call uh, Fanboy. He is actually a combination of Deadpool, Doctor Who, Star Trek, Star Wars, and uh, Firefly. Oh. <laughs> well, you've managed to get them all though? <laughs> yes. And it's one of those things where uh, fans in the community either love it because they see just how fun and ridiculous it is, or they get very upset because they think that you're mocking their particular fandom. And yes, yes, you are. Yes, (laughs) as as is my nature. So I've had the pleasure
0: of seeing you locally in a a few different plays. Um, Is there a part that you've done over the last few years that you really enjoyed most?
1: Uh, Yes, Giles Corey. uh, That is the character from uh, The Crucible. Um, That was actually... Probably the the hardest working show that I had to do. Uh, If you're not familiar with the character, or if you only kind of heard of it periphery, the best thing that he is known for, and he is actually a historical figure, because the Crucible is a uh, play written by Arthur Miller that is about the Salem witch trials. While also simultaneously being about the McCarthy hearings and trying to uh, find out who's a communist and who's not. So on one level, it's witch trials. On the other level, it's witch trials. Right. <laughs> but uh, Giles Corey was someone who was accused of uh, witchcraft at one point. And one of the techniques that they used to use in uh, Massachusetts was a thing known as Pressing where they would actually put you between two boards and keep putting large boulders on you to get you to confess. And it is actually in the historical record, when, when you research uh, Giles Corey, that uh, he refused to confess, and the, one of the last things that he said was more weight. He, he was, in essence, a 80-year-old man challenging the authorities yeah. to kill him because he wasn't going to confess to being a witch because he wasn't
0: nice I I know and I'm I I'm old and forgetful mm. so I don't remember the story titles but how hard is it for you I know I, I watched one I don't know it was red-headed stepchild or something I, I don't remember oh, uh,
1: probably white-headed boy There you go white-headed
0: yes. boy and and you had an accent in that
1: Yes uh that uh, that's actually uh, an Irish accent that I do occasionally. I've done it for a couple of different shows. Uh, accents are always hard to get into. One of the techniques that that they teach you is to have, like, a, uh, a phrase to start off with. Um, but I've done Irish for Renaissance fairs, uh, stage productions, things like that. So, uh, ironically enough, Sioux City, Iowa is one of the catchphrases I use to be able to slip into the Irish accent because that's something that I learned when I was uh, doing the show, uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. There's a, uh, a New York Irish beat cop in there, and he has this whole routine about talking about his dear sainted mother from Sioux City, Iowa, and trying to figure out how to say Sioux City, Iowa in an Irish brogue was hard enough that it kind of just... Made everything else that comes out a lot easier.
0: Nice, nice. <laughs> so, w- once you've learned that, then uh, that's a technique that you can you can go back to. You, yes. Um,
1: yeah, uh, a lot of times uh, I find I kind of have a Keith Moon approach to acting. And what I mean by that... Did he, you get really high? Well, <laughs> not anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, he... He was someone that, even though he was a great drummer, if he was not actually working in the studio or on tour, he did not pick up his drumsticks, okay. and it was almost a matter of having to relearn each time he went back into the studio, gotcha. and that's how it is for, for me a lot of times. Each new show is a new learning experience, a new technique that I'm teaching myself, or re- relearning and adding to my toolbox.
0: Now, what was the show that I I watched uh, that you and the other guy was in New York Park together?
1: Uh, that that was a uh, a one act play called Zoo Story by Edward Albee. Um, the basic story is that uh this person, this guy, just walks up to another guy sitting on a bench. My character is on the park bench reading the newspaper. The stranger walks up to him, starts talking to him about going to the zoo it evolves into this whole uh long interaction of each of them talking about their lives and stuff and ends with one of the two characters dying on stage to avoid spoilers i won't go into much more but it is something that from the start of that 40 minutes to the end you would have no way of knowing that that's where it's going to yeah, end up right. going
0: yeah, and 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 the you, for lack of a better way of saying it, you kind of played the straight man. Yes, and the other character was very Robin Williams like, very yeah, uh, ve- animated, yeah, very, very
1: hyperactive. Or because um, the idea is that the character does have some type of uh, mental illness. The the play itself was written in the fifties, so um, didn't know a lot of how to portray mental illness at that point. So it, it you really have to find those ways of being honest to the illness. Right. Uh, and not just make it a a, a farce. A, a Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I, I, I'm loony now. <laughs> yeah. No, I
0: thought it, it did a, a great job with that. And it had to um, – Obviously, the other character had all those scenes where he got to eat up a lot of dialogue yes. and really act. But what I found by watching it and watching you, um, and and for anybody who has never been to the theater, it is different to see live acting. Than it is to see TV acting, if it if it's good enough, and and it, I've had the pleasure of seeing it, where it's good enough that it draws you in, there it's not only an intimacy but a translation of those characters in a way that you you lose in TV and on on the big screen. And what I found was, as much as he was doing this um, scene eating dialogue mm-hmm. and this frantic behavior, how important you as a straight man had to, to be in that moment. You, mm-hmm. How hard was that for you? Because you really had to focus and almost like hand feed him so that he could continue
1: to do that. Yeah, uh, being in the moment is is something. It, it's a weird skill that actors have to have because on one level, it's hard to be in the moment because you've just spent six weeks of. Uh, repeating the same script nearly every single day, so you know what you're going to say, you know what the other person is going to say, but you really have to listen, because as actors, we're always trying to throw little nuances in, and if the person that you're acting against does something just a little bit different, and you're not responding to it, right, then the audience is going to pick that up, even if they can't specifically say, oh, he... Didn't do something. They're just going to feel the illusions gone yeah. for a
0: moment. Yeah, right, right. So,
1: so yeah, it, it's really a matter of just not just listening to the words, but listening to the tones, listening to little things that happen. And because it's live theater, you skip a line by accident. You uh, you trip over something. You have to incorporate that in it, yeah. and make it seem as much part of this the, of what you're doing as possible so that way you're not drawing negative attention to so it. So
0: it's always an element of improv.
1: Yes. If if whoever set the stage didn't set something the same way. And and that happens all the time, all the time. with with the uh, stage productions. The uh, there is literally no such thing as the same show two times in a row. I would imagine.
0: Now is it difficult when you're in a, a production and you're playing multiple
1: characters? Um What's difficult with that, because uh, I've done a production of uh, A Christmas Carol, where I was uh, Bob Cratchit, I was a uh, a character from Scrooge's past, and I was also uh, one of the characters that was going through Scrooge's belongings after he died. Okay. Um, and the hardest part with that is really making sure that each of those characters, not just visually but uh, how how they hold their body, how they do their voices, are very uh, different.
0: because you have to continue that illusion and people's like, I've already seen this guy. right. I see yeah yeah yeah.
1: yeah so so it is definitely a, a matter of okay, I know what I'm doing for this one character. I have to make sure that nothing I'm doing it with that character I do with either of the Ooh. other two. Ooh. And something and sometimes as a character actor, props and costumes really help you mm-hmm. find those distinctions and if necessary, even hide behind those props and costumes. Well, I've noticed just you getting
0: ready for Krampus, like you you you, you become Krampus. You're not a guy in a Krampus mm-hmm. mask. You actually take on that 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 energy and that role that that how how valuable and, and, and does it play? Does your your your
1: spirituality and your magical systems does that help? Uh, actually, yeah. I I found that uh, I've been a professional actor for about twenty years now. I've probably been a practicing pagan of one flavor of or another for about thirty years, and yeah, they pretty much do really blend into each other. Uh, the idea. If, if you're able to inhabit a character, that helps you uh, in your spiritual path. If you're trying to invoke a, uh, a spirit or a deity into you, especially for public ritual where you, you're trying to... The more you could physically act like uh, the entity of the season, the more likely that entity would partially inhabit you and speak through you. If if you if you do the research, you know what they do, you know how they are. Mm-hmm. It's easier to create that space for them.
0: Well, it's familiar to them. Yes, yes, it, it's a home base for them as well. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you said you've been practicing uh, paganism for twenty some years. Right. Did you start as a druid, or did you find um, your way to druidism?
1: I actually found my way to to uh, druidism. I I started like a lot of people with Wicca. Uh so yeah, it's easy to make the uh the joke that Wicca is the gateway drug to every other faith. Um It's
0: a great foundation though. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Uh and within the uh coven that I was in, I eventually made it up to uh second degree. Uh they did do Of it was a very eclectic uh Wiccan group that did borrow a lot from both uh Scott Cunningham and uh uh, Raymond Buckland sure
0: well I mean those were the two that were around yeah
1: especially in the 20 early years 90s. ago I mean yeah. yeah yeah um then through that started going okay let me just see what else is around and stuff and I was living in New Jersey at the time and at Rutgers University they actually had a uh, panel discussion of alternate religions and one of the uh, people that was on the panel representing was a was someone from a local ADF grove in uh, New Jersey. Okay. And started reading uh, their literature and a lot of it ha- was both simultaneously funny and very insightful. So I'm like, okay, this is starting to resonate. Start, went to a couple of rituals, started learning more about the distinctions and was really starting to feel that it felt closer to what I was believing than the uh, the Wiccan tradition that I was in. With the Wiccan tradition that I was in, and again, this is not saying one is better than the other, it's more what felt right for me. Sure. So with the Wiccan tradition that we had, it was all gods and goddesses were reflections or aspects of a single god and a single goddess. And... Then switching over to ADF Druidry, uh, seeing each of the deities as distinct individuals, even if there is overlap, right? Uh, just felt more natural for me. Me too. Yeah, humankind versus Bob. Right. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, th- I've gotten to the point in my own personal practice that even uh, the best example I use is Dionysus and Bacchus would be the equivalent of two best friends in high school who play football. They have all these things in common, but they're still separate, separate uh, yeah. entities or separate right. beings.
0: Yeah. And now you've done tarot readings here at the store for uh, 10 years now? Uh, about that, Almost yes. Almost since we started. So Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, I, At, I, I at least like seven, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, how did you stumble into doing
1: those? Uh, that was... Uh, Through the uh, Wiccan group, it was uh, the Living Wicca Foundation was the name of the organization. They've gone defunct, as a lot of groups do, because it's hard to uh, maintain longevity in, in this, but was learning tarot through that and tying it back to the acting and spirituality question that you had before. The first deck that I ever bought and the one that I still use primarily to this day is a shakespearean deck. okay so and what the creator of that deck did was for each of the illustrations for for all of the cards they found some type of scene from a shakespearean story and had a little quote that connected the shakespearean scene to To the traditional meanings of uh, the cards
0: they just came out with a poe deck Okay, and it's very similar. They they take all of the short stories and, and well and long stories, but they each card represents something from that story, and they tie a quote to the card too. And it's 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 it. I
1: yeah yeah. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite cards from that deck is actually the Tower card because of the way they do it. Is uh the Tower card is traditionally a card of. Destruction before rebuilding necessary destruction, but it's still a hardship that you have to go through. Uh, In the Shakespearean deck that I have, instead of the traditional uh, picture of you're standing outside, you're looking at the tower, and the tower is getting hit by lightning, it's actually taking it from the perspective of being inside the tower, and you actually see a Two young princes being pushed out of the tower during a lightning storm. Gotcha. And it's actually a scene that doesn't actually happen on stage, but is talked about in Richard the Third, okay. where he has uh, two princes that would threaten his uh, claim to the throne. First arrested, and then in the context of the story, accidentally killed. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, they didn't have guardrails
1: on those windows. Right, exactly. And a lot. A
0: lot of people fell out of those windows. Um. You you also I would I would I would add to your list of accomplishments as a uh, storyteller slash bard, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you, you also have started in the last few years of not maybe longer, but I know of it the last couple of years doing voiceover.
1: Uh, yeah, voiceover is still kind of more of a hobby at this point. I haven't had the opportunity to really dive into it the way I wanted to, but yeah, I've uh, done uh, voiceover for. Uh, a couple of uh, protest projects that uh, nonprofit groups were doing, like an example was a couple of years ago, uh, did one where it was someone dressed up as the Statue of Liberty, while another person is putting a, a gag over her mouth, putting a blindfold, putting earphones on her, while as the voiceover, I'm reading the poem about the uh, Statue of Liberty called the New Colossus mm. and it was a way of illustrating how uh, all of our rights are kind of being taken away and right. how people are turning a blind eye to things and stuff so I've, I've done a lot of things like that I gotcha okay. uh, yeah but that's probably the, the, the biggest example that I could think of okay. right now for that
0: I would assume I mean all the acting gigs right now are
1: yeah, like, n- non-existent yeah, because of the cr- pandemic yeah um, there are a couple of theaters that are trying to do uh, virtual shows, where it's literally like a two-person cast on a stage in a video. I got you. Format, or they'll actually do it in. I've actually seen things done in Zoom, where each of the actors are in their little. Yes, I've seen squares, and that's kind of more of. What would be considered a uh, a staged reading or dramatic reading? Mm-hmm. Because you can't really uh, do a lot physically right. when you're on a Zoom call. But if you've already read the script and you have an idea of the character, you can still get that across in your voice and in your mannerisms.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and a lot of classic uh, movies and stuff have revisited, like Princess Bride, that are reading. Yes. And, and stuff like that, which is always cool. To um, although I don't know who they who did the voice of Andre.
1: Yeah, that I I know that project went out, but I did not yeah, actually get a chance it. to see it. I mean, not that Andre
0: had a lot of light, Right. Hello, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know um, we're probably running out of time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share with the Pig and Gumbo
1: um, listenership? Pretty much the only thing is obviously this year with us not being able to do the Krampus Parade. That's kind of a big let down for me. I'm hoping that in the future uh as the Krampus character we'll be able to do more in the shop, not just uh, for the holiday itself. Um and Krompus as a character was definitely something that does take a a lot of improv skills. Uh you do have to have an idea of who your particular Krompus is versus the all the other crompuses that are out there because in doing the research, crompus is a pack animal. You want to think of Krampus as a vampire as opposed to being Dracula. So it's not the crompus. It's yeah. a Krampus.
0: Crompin. Crampin. Did we uh, ever decide crump
1: Uh actually from from the research that I've done, it's uh Just Krampus, Krampus. Krampus singular, Krampus uh, uh, plural.
0: I gotcha okay
1: but so yeah hopefully we'll be able to see you and everybody else in the future both as Krampus and as myself
0: yeah well and I, I know that the, that when we started the parade we we had a little bit different um uh, expectation or or uh, idea of what Krampus would be you know we we, we had five six years ago had seen the uh, the videos of, of the festivals in Europe mm-hmm. and those are quite a bit scarier looking yes. and there's fire involved and it's nighttime and mm-hmm. it's really, really cool. But what we did here was we, we tagged into a local event called Holidayville. So it was a, a Clintonville um, event that was already mm-hmm. kind of happening. So what we wanted to do was create this, uh, this idea of a holiday parade or walk or March Um that kind of you know mirrored or mimicked the Santa Claus parade. Mm-hmm. But instead of, of Santa Claus, we wanted to use that, that idea of Krampus or Krampus um, to, to usher in the Yuletide season for the area. And so uh, me, you know, we, we had to be kid friendly because it was right. going to be during the day. It was going to be an event that kids could come to. So, I know a lot of that went into your idea when you were making the mm-hmm. Krumpus character. And yeah, I think- so,
1: so I ended up, instead of going towards a scary character, uh, was leaning more into the grumpiness and crankiness of the character, uh, seeing him as someone who's always in Santa's shadow, mm-hmm. and kind of play it that way, and gave, uh, gave him a very uh, gravelly voice, where Krampus's voice is all the way down here and very grumbly and very rattly. And yeah, he, he wants people to celebrate, but he's also going to be, if you're bad, I'm kidnapping you. I'm taking you to my mountain. You're eating spicy vegetables and you're listening to talk radio. Those are your punishments. And those are pretty bad punishments. Yeah. And I've I've... Had kids cry over that because I've also been hired to actually go into people's houses as Krampus. Right. And obviously with the parents' permission, they hire me and, and whatnot, but the kids don't know what's right. going right. on. Right, right. It's a so visit I, from Krampus. Yeah, so yeah. I'm uh, six feet tall and uh, big bodied, so when I come in in full uh, costume and regalia... Even if I'm not trying to be scary, if you're four or six, I'm going to be terrifying anyway. Absolutely. So I wanted to make sure that any quote-unquote punishment that I did was scary for a kid, but also pretty ridiculous also. Right. That's, so... What kid wants to eat spicy vegetables? What kid wants to listen to talk radio? <laughs> Alex Peaky. <Piki. laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> exactly.
0: For you youngins out there, you'll have to Google that. Um so do you want to tell everybody uh, goodbye as Krampus?
1: Can you do that? All right, folks. Wanna it's your boy Krampus again. Wanna thank everybody for listening to Pig and Gumbo. I'll see everybody uh in twenty twenty-one. And wanna remind everyone. Wear a mask. Thank you. Good night, folks.
0: Bye, guys. Thank you.
1: Sweet. All right. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Let's go eat. The fun part. Yes. If they saved us any. Thank you.